Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. They always believed that he had done it. Even though he was never convicted. Right. It was ruled an apparent suicide. And the family said, bullshit. Correct. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them Tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities as well as the locations of these crimes out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, we have the usual suspects. We have Detective Dave. Happy to be here again. So happy to see you. Thanks for coming. It's great to be here. Again. Way to do your job. Again. And we have Detective Dan. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. And we are thrilled to welcome back one of our favorite guests, Investigator Tracy. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. We are thrilled to have you. So, Tracy, you always bring us really interesting cases. And this one in particular is one that's actually quite well known. So I'll just leave it at that and let you take it from there. Sure. Anne Rule, one of the most famous true crime authors, wrote a book about this case and was at the DA's office for quite a number of months writing about this case. So I think that your listeners are going to be familiar with this case once I start talking about it. But hopefully I can give them some information that they don't know. Excellent. Let's do it. So this is really two murder cases involving two women and one man. The first case 
was in 1990 and involved a woman named Dolly. And Dolly was in her third year of dental school. Her father was an oral surgeon. Her plan was to join his practice after she graduated from dental school. She was going to dental school in a very well-known medical college in my state. She was quite bubbly, quite beautiful, quite attractive, smart. She just had everything going for her, and she uh, brought a lot of attention from men. And one man that she attracted was a senior in his fourth year in his dental schooling. His name was Dr. Bart, and his M.O., according to other women that he had been involved with, was when he set his sights on a woman, he moved in really quickly, wanted a commitment really quickly, was controlling over her. After six months of dating Dolly, he asked her to marry him. And she turned him down. She said, let me get through dental school. Let me get my practice with my father established. And, you know, then we'll talk about that. And uh, apparently he didn't take that very well. So as time went on, the relationship lasted from beginning to end about a year. So about six months after he asked her to marry him, she had determined that she was not going to marry him and broke it off. Strange things started happening to her, including hairspray in her contact lens solution. Her car tires were slashed. And her beloved cat goes missing. And she is absolutely distraught about this cat. And she asked a friend, do you think it's Bart that's doing all of this? So I think that she kind of had an inkling that it was um, not exactly random. I'm assuming he didn't take the breakup well. And that's why Dolly suspected he might be behind these weird things happening. He did not take the breakup well. And he continued on in dental school after the breakup because he was nearing graduation. So as part of her junior year project, she had to make a pair of dentures. And it was very important to her graduation. And it takes these dental students three to four months to make these dentures. And they're judged by the professors and it can delay your graduation if you don't pass making these dentures. And she had made her dentures, was ready to present them to the faculty at the dental school and they disappeared. And she went to the dean and she was just, according to the dean, she was distraught and she actually accused Bart of stealing them to mess with her schooling. So she is becoming increasingly uh, wary, unhappy, distraught, scared. And on June the 6th, her roommate comes home and Dolly is sitting cross-legged on the couch in their apartment. And she is shot in the right side of her head and the gun is laying in her lap. Oh, shit. Yeah. The initial thinking was suicide. 
The body was positioned that way, sitting on the couch, gun in the lap, a head wound on the right side of her head. But her friends and family said, there's no way she would never commit suicide. She was too close to graduation. She was looking forward to joining her father in this family oral surgery practice. She just had too much going for her. The family always insisted that she would never do this. But again, we're talking about back in the 90s. There was no way to prove any differently. But the case was ruled an apparent suicide. Not a suicide, but an apparent suicide. It's good that the medical examiner labeled it an apparent suicide rather than just flatly, this is a suicide. Right. But now you've got an official document from a medical examiner that the suicide word is on there. And sometimes that's difficult to overcome later on. The defense attorney capitalizes on that and says, well, you ruled it a suicide. Well, it's an apparent suicide. That can be hard to overcome. Right. I'm sure the family pointed to the fact that Dolly suspected Bart of doing these horrible things to her. He was questioned, and he denied doing it. There was no way to prove otherwise. And so, yeah, he went about his life. So, fast forward 14 years. Oh. Dr. Bart has moved to my county and is a dentist in my county and actually was a member of my family's dentist. So he is married to Jennifer. Also very attractive, bubbly, well-liked woman. They have two children, two sons, Dalton and Dylan, and they live in a beautiful home in the suburbs. And on December the 4th of 2004, A 911 call comes in to our dispatch, and it's a neighbor across the street who says that Dalton, Jennifer and Bart's son, who is age seven, knocked on her door. It's about seven o'clock in the morning and said he couldn't wake his mommy up. And she went over there with him and saw Jennifer In her bed, she was on her right side. She had been shot about two to three inches behind her right ear, but her right hand and the gun were laying in the blanket comforter area in front of her. And the 911 call, the 911 dispatcher asked the neighbor to put Dalton on the phone it's a very sad call. It is a heartbreaking call. And we listened to it before we started the interview today. And even in person, these tapes have deteriorated over the past 16 years pretty badly in some places. So we will paraphrase what everyone is saying where necessary. 911. <laughs> My girlfriend's dead. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? She's been shot. Son just ran over and got me. We live across the street from me. Okay. Do you think that uh, she can be helped? No. Okay. Her son came over to your house? Yes. Okay, listen. Is yes. the boy there? Yes. Okay, does he know who shot her? 
Uh, not at this time. Okay. Was it just him and his mother in the house? Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, uh, uh, Dad. The dispatcher confirms with Jennifer's neighbor that it's Jennifer's son who came over to her house. The dispatcher asks, is the boy there now? Yes, she says. Okay, does he know who shot her? And the neighbor says, not at this time. Was it just him and his mother in the house? And the neighbor stammers a bit, saying that the dad was at the house too. The father's there? He's not here right now. Okay, where's the father? I don't know. Okay. All right, does, does anybody want to uh, attempt to go over there and, and, you know, try any CPR or anything with her? No, she's, it's, it's been a while. Okay. Last night. Did you go over there? Yes, I did. Okay. All right. Ma'am? Yeah. Where is he at now? Is he with you? Yes. Okay. All right. How old is he? Seven. Uh-huh. All right. Are you are you able to uh, put him on the phone? Yes. Yeah. Dalton, can you come talk to this nice man here? He wants a little bit of information from you. Hello. 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 What's your name? Dalton. Excuse me. Dalton. Dalton. Yes. Okay. Do you know what happened there? Um, I was, I was going out from bed. Um, I woke up and I went to my mom's room. And then, um, I tried to wake her up, but she wanted and I saw a gun right by her. Okay. She might be dead. Dalton says he woke up, he went into his mom's room, he tried to wake her up, but she wouldn't wake up, and then he saw a gun right by her. And then Dalton says, she might be dead. Okay. Was, was anybody else there with you? Mother, my, my brother. Your brother? And my um, dog. Okay, how old's your brother? Five. He's five? Where is he now? He's sitting watching cartoons. At, at the house that you're at now? No, um, we're at our next door neighbor's house. Oh, okay, he's with you at the next door neighbor's? Yes. Okay. Was was there anybody home last night? Was your dad home? Yeah, he's the one who killed my mom. When the dispatcher asks if Dalton's dad was home the night before, Dalton says, yeah, he's the one that killed my mom. Okay, where is he at now? I don't know. He's not there? Uh Uh-oh. Okay. He came home last night. And then then got in his car and ran back. And ran off somewhere. Okay, does he live there or does he live somewhere else? He lived in our house and then I mean, killed my mom and then I left. When asked if his dad lives with the family full time, Dalton says yes. Then he killed my mom and then he left. How do you know that? Because I saw a gun right by her. Okay, how, how do you know that he did this? I mean, were, were you awake when it happened? Did you see him do it? Uh-uh, but um, he comes up every night and I didn't see his call this morning. Okay, were, were they arguing or anything last night? Um, no, they, were just, they just started in a big fight. They had a big fight last night? Yeah. 
everybody's taking everybody's stuff. My dad's taking my mom's stuff. Dalton tells the dispatcher that his parents had a huge fight the night before and that his dad wasn't there the next morning. Then he adds, Everybody's taking everybody's stuff. My dad's taking my mom's stuff. Now, did you do the gun? No. You didn't do the gun? I saw the gun. Okay. Was it a, was it a little gun? Was it a big gun? It, it, it was like a little baby gun. Okay, like a small gun? Like, a, like something that you could hold in your hand, okay? Yeah. Okay. Like with one hand. Okay. You, you didn't... You didn't... Uh, you didn't move it, did you? Did you uh, leave everything where it was? Yeah, I just, I just saw it and I knew she was dead. Dalton describes the gun as being small enough to hold in one hand, like a BB gun, he says. And while he says he didn't touch the gun or move it, he says he knew his mom was dead. All right, well, I want to keep you on the phone, okay? Okay. Because we, we have people on the way over to help, okay? Okay. So I have to back up a little bit in that Jennifer and Bart were going through marital problems. One thing I forgot to mention were there were divorce papers shoved up underneath her body. She was laying on top of divorce papers that she had filed against him. So initially, the crime scene at first glance, okay, this could be a suicide, but, you know, it has to be investigated as a potential homicide. Dave is nodding, sort of knowingly. A couple of things here. Marital strife. The entry of the bullet wound is not in a place that uh, someone who commits suicide would ever get to behind their ear. I'm wondering what the trajectory of that was. And the divorce papers, it's kind of a signature of where Bart is coming from. It's a fuck you. It's a fuck you. Yeah, so the autopsy was done. The location of the bullet, as Detective Dave said, was not in typical place that if you're going to commit suicide. Plus, if you did commit suicide and you shot yourself behind your ear, the gun is going to not fall forward and get wrapped up in the covers. So... They say it could be a suicide, but we'll investigate it as a homicide. Meanwhile, the seven-year-old has said, my daddy killed my mommy. Correct. He was interviewed by a child a forensic interviewer, and it was learned that while he didn't actually see that happen or hear it or anything, he slept through it, his parents had been fighting so viciously over the past few months that in his little seven-year-old brain, he was already connecting the dots that this is what happened. That's crazy. So we hear about the case, but it's being worked by the police department. I work for the district attorney's office. We generally don't get a case until charges have been made. So like Detective Dan and Detective Dave, they're doing their thing, but there's no charges yet. There's nothing for us to do at this point. But we get a call from Dolly's family. 
they heard about it. And they said, did you know that he killed our daughter, sister, back in 1990? And that was the first that we had learned about this connection. They always believed that he had done it. Even though he was never convicted. Right. It was ruled an apparent suicide. And the family said bullshit. Correct. From the police side of this, law enforcement and thinking about information systems, how far is Dolly's case, what's the geographical relation to Jennifer's case? How close are they? I would say it's about 100-something miles. These two agencies don't share a same case management system? Not at all. So when you pull up Jennifer's name or Bart's name, he's not going to have anything on his record that associates him with Dolly. Correct. Initially, my police department was leaning towards a suicide. Leaning towards suicide and the death of Jennifer, even though the location of the gunshot wound and where the gun was laying don't really pass the smell test for a suicide, like Dave was saying. Yes. And the family was very unhappy, and they went to the media and got it on the media that... This woman had been killed, you know, in an affluent suburb of our town, a dentist's wife. It looks like a suicide, but the family is disputing that. That is how Dolly's family saw that this had happened and contacted our office. I see. So I was sitting in the break room of my office and my wonderful DA, we were talking about the case and... He said, yeah, we just found out that another one of his women committed suicide 14 years ago. And we both said, holy crap, (laughs) at the same time. I mean, we don't in law enforcement believe in coincidence, okay? That's just not something that happens. So the medical examiner ruled that this was a homicide on Jennifer's case. Because of that press conference? No, because of the location of the wound, the trajectory, and the positioning of the body in her bed and where this old Smith & Wesson five-shot revolver, no one knew where this gun had come from. Her family said she didn't have a gun. So Dr. Bart lawyered up immediately. And this was back when it was still being investigated as a potential suicide. He immediately went out and got a lawyer and wouldn't talk to us at all. The morning of this 911 call, is Dr. Barton, is he at the house or is he already gone? He is at his brother's house. They had separated. They had had an altercation at a family Thanksgiving gathering, and he slapped Jennifer in front of their children in the family. So she kicked him out. So he went to stay at his brother's house. So when the police went to notify him, your wife is dead, you know, he's like, well, I'm at my brother's house. I didn't have anything to do with this. And besides, I have an attorney. Goodbye. Wow. Jennifer's the one who initiated these divorce proceedings, correct? Right. The divorce paper placement If you were really that distraught over your divorce, even though you're the one who is seeking it, most reasonable people would be like, come on, really? That's a little bit melodrama. No, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and the scene was staged somewhat. There was a bottle of wine with a wine glass. 
and no alcohol was found in her system. So that's another big clue right there. Okay, here's right by her bed, the bottle of wine, wine glass with wine in it, and she's got no alcohol in her system. No note. No note. No note with Dolly either. No note with Dolly. I've seen this Lifetime movie before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed you have. (laughs) So once we found out about Dolly, we immediately contacted the county where her case occurred and got in touch with a detective. And he pulled Dolly's file and his father had actually worked Dolly's case. The detective's father? The detective's father. So the son is now a detective, and now he's pulled out the case from 1990 that his father worked. The father's retired now, but he called his father, and the father said, I always thought that Bart had done this, but I couldn't do anything about it. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. That is incredible. So they have reopened Dolly's case. We're working on Jennifer's case. So we have two different agencies. And are those two agencies working together? We are working together, you know, staying in contact. Now, Dolly's case is still at this point, you know, you got a death certificate that says apparent suicide. But a lot of other information has come out, Jennifer's death. If you look at the photographs from their two deaths, the way they were, it's scary. It's spooky how closely they resemble each other. Really? Yes. And again, uh, I've talked about this before with these older cases, we've progressed a lot further in blood spatter analysis and looking at crime scene photos and what they tell us. So they hired a forensic expert to re-examine Dolly's case, the photos, and there were only a few taken because, you know, it's a suicide. But this expert was able to determine that Dolly's body was manipulated after she was shot just because of the positioning of her body, the blood spatter, etc. And they were able to locate two witnesses who, why they didn't come forward in 1990, I don't know, but they saw Bart, who they knew because he was over at at her place all the time, and they were also in dental school together. They saw him near her apartment that day. Near Dolly's apartment? Near Dolly's apartment that day. So frustrating. I know. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, okay, thanks for, where have you been for 14 years? Where's the bullet wound on Dolly's head? It's on the right side of her head. It's not behind the ear, but it's... Above the temple? Yes. Okay. Were you saying earlier that Dolly had her legs crossed? She did have her legs crossed, but she was slumped over on her right side, hands forward with a gun, like right there, exactly like Jennifer's was. Now, Jennifer was in the bed, and Dolly was sitting on a couch... But, yeah, it was very similar. I'm just trying to get my mental picture of both of these scenes to be spot on, but it's not typical that we find somebody who shot themselves where their legs are crossed in front. Yeah. I think she was casually sitting on the couch, 
And Bart showed up and he shot and killed her before she could react. I mean, she would have, if she had seen the gun or knew what was coming, she would have run and been found in another part of her apartment or tried to flee. She's sitting on the couch with cross-legged, like, you know, comfortable. I'm at home. I'm at ease. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in Jennifer's case, she's in bed. Most people don't shoot themselves laying in bed. Maybe she's sitting up on the edge of the bed is the theory, but Bart shows up in the middle of the night when he's completely unexpected, just like in Dolly's case. Right. And as a woman, as a mother who has two sons, I would never kill myself to leave my children to find me. That is just, that's not going to happen. Right. And from all that we know about Jennifer, she would never do that either. Any stippling on Jennifer or Dolly? Why do you ask that question, Dan? Well, the stippling is going to tell you how far away the barrel was from the skin. Oh. So the wider the pattern of stippling, the farther away the barrel was when the gun was fired. There will be very minimal stippling at that wound if it was a contact wound. Got it. I mean, if you reach behind yourself, you're going to try to shoot yourself behind your ear with your right arm, right? You can't do it with your left hand, right? right? So your right arm, if you think about the stippling, if there's a wide stippling pattern, reach your arm out and try to act like you've got a gun in your hand and try to shoot yourself behind the ear. If there's no stippling, I could plausibly believe that it could happen, that you could shoot yourself behind the ear if there's no stippling. But any other distance, the farther you move away from your head, the more awkward that position is. So the stippling around Jennifer's gunshot wound shows that the gun was not right up against her head. Correct. I've shown a crime scene photo of her in the bed. That does look like a little stippling. That's not bruising, is it? I'm looking at the lividity and all that to make sure it like matches up. So, as Dan's saying, a self-inflicted gunshot to that area behind the ear, it's going to be closer to a contact wound than it is from any distance. Nobody's going to shoot themselves behind the ear from arm's length. They're going to do it like I'm putting it right up against my head. So, in that photo that Investigator Tracy showed, you can see the divorce papers are staged. Like, I'm putting that under her, too. Yeah, it was under her shoulder, which... If someone were to do that, I would think they would be spread around the bed. This was like, boom, here you go. You want a divorce? You just got one. Or Bart's explanation is, you killed yourself literally over this divorce. Right. So because Bart was non-cooperative, we had to do the old gumshoe investigation pulled his phone records, and we saw that a few days prior to the murder of Jennifer, he went to a town in the state next to ours. And we learned through friends that he had a lifelong friend that lived in that town. Investigators from my office went to visit this friend, and he said, yeah, he came to see me. He just Showed up one day, you know, hey, I'm just here to visit you. It's been a while. Well, did you give him a gun? Because we're trying to link this gun to Bart. Because the report is that Jennifer's household didn't own a gun. 
Correct. The ATF trace was done on the gun, and it was sold in a sporting goods store in the 1950s. And that's the last that is on record. And that's perfect for Bart or whoever had this gun because there's no paper trail on this. You don't know who it last belonged to. No, you can trade and trade and trade and trade a thousand times a gun or sell it between people, and there's no record of it. Wow. So we pressed this friend of Bart's named Richard really, really hard about this gun. Did you give him this gun? We made many visits to this neighboring state. He denied. He denied it the whole time. So we find out through interviews and whatnot that Bart had been with his brother and some friends at a local Wings restaurant. There's a receipt at 1.10 a.m. from when they check out. The -the across-the-street neighbor... The woman is the one that called 911. The little boy ran across the street. The husband of the woman who called 911. He hears Bart's vehicle pull up. I got home last night about 1.30. And I heard a truck hauling in down the road. And he went up the driveway across the street. I looked out the window and... I saw it was a Bart's truck. Okay, and he was probably there 10, 15 minutes, and then he hauled outside of here. Okay, what time was it? About 1.30. The medical examiner said Jennifer died approximately, and it's only approximately between 2 and 3 a.m., which matches the timeline pretty close. Totally. Thank God for the neighbor's insomnia. Yes. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks. 
Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. You get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is Simply Safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024. And Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com slash smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So there was a fight at Thanksgiving. And what this fight was about was that Jennifer was a housewife, which is an honorable, noble profession. But her husband was working a lot. Her kids were in school. She was alone during the day. And she started online gaming which is kind of unusual, I think, for women. I'm not familiar with them. I don't even know the name. But you play with other players that are, you don't really know who they are. Like Fortnite and stuff. Correct. But this was prior to Fortnite. Sure. So she connects with a guy named Chris through this game. And they start going back and forth, back and forth, and she starts sharing with Chris how unhappy she is in her marriage and she really wants a divorce and how lonely she is. And through emails, we dump their computer. They fall in love, and she's going to leave BART and take her children to another state, not anywhere near our state, to marry Chris. Has she ever met him in person? She's never met him. Oh, God. It's just another indicator that she is not invested in the relationship with Bart anymore, so she would not be distraught over a divorce. She was actually looking forward to it. That's well said. So Jennifer comes to find out that Chris is not really Chris. Chris is a woman named Anita The same last name as Dolly. She got catfished. 
she got catfished. But Jennifer said, I'm in love with you. I don't care. I'm still coming. I'm divorcing Bart, and I'm still going to come, and we're going to be together. Now, Anita knows the connection between Dolly and Bart? No, they're not related in any way. Oh. It's just a total coincidence. It's a total coincidence with an unusual last name. It's not like it's Smith or Jones. No way. Basically, Jennifer says, now I know you're a woman. I'm still leaving my husband. I still want to be with you. And Anita says, great, let's do it. Absolutely. Got it. So Jennifer buys a secret phone so that she can talk with Anita And there's also the emails. Bart found the phone and saw Anita on there and thinks that she, Jennifer, is contacting Dolly's family. And he starts panicking. Jesus. Yeah. So that was the fight that they had at Thanksgiving. Bart found the phone at Thanksgiving dinner and confronted her about it in the driveway and slapped her in front of the kids. And she kicked him out. And he's in panic mode right now because he's thinking Jennifer's in contact with Dolly's family. Right. If Anita had any other last name, Bart doesn't jump to that conclusion. No, I mean, he would have thought she was having an affair, but, you know, not connected with the woman he murdered 14 years earlier. When you dumped the computer, I'm guessing at some point, Bart, did he have an email activity on this computer? I'm not sure about that, but we came to learn that he had been having an affair for six or seven years with his office administrator, office assistant. And so he had expressed to her how unhappy he was in the marriage. He only married Jennifer because she got pregnant, blah, blah, blah. He was always bitching about Jennifer. She was fat and she was ugly, and which she wasn't. She didn't keep house like he wanted and whatnot. So he's out having an affair, a long-term affair, but his wife better not do that. So initially... The other county charged Bart first with murder. So they revised Dolly's death certificate, ruled it a homicide. He was taken into custody. Then he was indicted on 12-22-2004 in that county for Dolly's murder. And then my county indicted him on 1-5-05-2005 for Jennifer's murder. That's a hell of a holiday season. Yeah. So now we're in trial in 2005, and we feel like we have a really good circumstantial case. But the major hurdle that we have, that gun, it's like, where did this gun come from? So we had run an ATF search on the gun. But there's something called an offline search, and that's where you can run a serial number, a a license plate, a VIN number, a gun number, and you can see if any other law enforcement agencies have ever run that number. And it turns out that the police department in the state next to ours, where Bart's friend, 
Richard lived had run the serial number of that gun. Oh, yes. Even though you had asked him, did you give him the gun? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Correct. So he had a friend who was a captain at the police department who had run this gun for him years ago, offline search. He visits Richard, who we had subpoenaed. He was going to come and testify to the trial. I mean, he could say... I didn't give him the gun. I don't know anything about the gun. But the captain said, pack a bag because you are not coming home. Because we were going to charge him with perjury. Now that we knew that he had had that gun checked to see if it had been stolen. Because he had repaired a guy's lawnmower and the guy paid him with a gun. So that's when that come to Jesus meeting happened. And Richard called and he said, okay. Bart came. He said he was going through a nasty divorce, and he wanted the gun for protection. Against his wife? I guess so. I don't know. He didn't specify, but so Richard gave Bart the gun. So we put a gun in Bart's hands. When you say you have the gun, you have Richard's testimony saying, I gave Bart the gun. That's the hole in the case, and you just plugged it. We just plugged it right in the middle of trial. I'm sitting in court directly behind the DA. He again was trying this case himself, and the chief investigator comes in. He hands a note to the DA. The note says, call a recess immediately. We place the gun. So the DA stood up, said, Judge, I need a recess. So we go to the office, we're high-fiving. I mean, this was our golden nugget that we were waiting for. (laughs) And we were running out of time because, I mean, you know, we're in the trial. So Bart had money. He hired two of the silk stocking law firm lawyers from our area who are nationally known. You'll see them on TV. And they had a closed-door meeting in which my DA said, guess what? We can put the gun with your client. Bart had been lying to his attorneys. I've seen his attorney since then. And I was like, yeah, I was in the courtroom when you got word that we placed the gun with Bart. And he said, literally the smoking gun was his response to me. This just recently, a year or so ago, when I saw him. So... I'm sitting in court. The two defense attorneys walk out from behind the judge's chambers. And I have never seen such a look of shell shock on any attorney's face in my life. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they know now. So they said, let's have a recess for a day for the trial. We need to have a talk with our client. We need to gather our ducks in a bucket. Yes. (laughs)
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So we're running around. We contact the other county because we were trying our case first. They were going to try theirs next. And we contacted them, let them know. We contacted Dolly's family. And the defense attorneys approached the DA the next day. And they said, he'll plead. And the DA said, he's got to plead to both cases, not just ours. He's got to plead to Dolly's, too. This DA. This DA. I want to have a beer with him. (laughs) He would love that. (laughs) That's awesome. And when he said, I'll plead, I'll plead to murder or I'll plead to... He had to plead to murder for Jennifer. He had to plead to murder for Dolly. And he had to accept the sentence of life in prison without parole. Do you have the death penalty in your state? And if he pleads to both of those murders, does it make him eligible for that? We do have the death penalty in our state. But the DA has to announce or put on notice early on in the case that we're seeking the death penalty. We were not doing that in this case. And normally, life without the possibility of parole is only a sentence for death penalty eligible cases, which this actually was. We weren't seeking it, but because of the multiple murders, that makes it death penalty eligible. We could get a life without the possibility of parole sentence because of that. Bart is influenced because of that death penalty, too. Just the slight possibility that it's out there maybe compel him to just say, I'll take life without parole. I see. Tracy's right. You have to signal your intent to go after a capital punishment sentence. Well, the other county, they were going to seek the death penalty. Once we convicted him in our county, they were going to go for the death penalty because they could use his conviction of Jennifer for murder in their case. So, yes, he was not in our county facing the death penalty, but in Dolly's county, He was. So that definitely was a motivation for him. Okay. So the incentive for him is now I'm not facing the death penalty if I cop a plea to both these murders. Right. So you have to announce your intent ahead of time so you basically don't move the goalposts in the middle of the game. Right. No, we don't go into a trial and in the middle of a trial say we're going for the death penalty. That's been established long before. Was part of this plea for him to... Does he have to, I mean, he's, by his, simply his pleas, admitting his culpability. Did he have to explain himself at all? He just had to say the questions, did you kill Jennifer? Yes. Did you kill Dolly? Yes. That's really important, especially for probably Dolly's family, for them to hear out of Bart's mouth that he did it is very important for them. 
your DA calls the DA from the uh, jurisdiction up north and says, hey, I just offered him a deal and it includes your case. Correct. They were real happy with us. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Were you present when he had to say, yes, I killed Jennifer, yes, I killed Dolly? And- oh, yes. It was a huge case in our area. Did he have any expression on his face? No, he was very stoic. I never saw any expression from him, ever. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, and Dave brought it up. I think it was in season one that the emotional event for Bart was when he killed Dolly and when he killed Jennifer. And he's learned how to cope with that for years now. So he's not going to have a reaction. He's already dealt with all that stuff, and it's behind him. Right. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So Anne Rule wrote a book about this case, and she is like my hero. One of the reasons that I went into doing what I did and do, and I was walking down the hall, looked into our law library, and there she is sitting there, and I about about wet my pants. I was so excited. (laughs) And I went in and I explained to her that, you know, because of her and the books that she wrote, that I started reading as a teenager, that this is why I do what I do. And so I would always speak with her. And when she wrote the book, she autographed a copy to me and all of us that were involved in the case. And I'm so sad that she's no longer with us, but she always holds a special place in my heart. That's great. That's amazing. I've been very fortunate. On a few occasions, to have people come up to me and say, oh, you affected my life this way in a positive way. It's never why you do what you do, but that is the icing on top of icing. And it is incredibly meaningful. So I'm sure that when you shared that with Anne, I mean, it just never gets old. It's an amazing experience. Yeah, she was just so kind and so gracious. And and thanked me for telling her that it was meaningful to her, I think. Did Jennifer's kids end up someplace far away from all this? Yes. And gosh, they would be teenagers now. But our office, the DA's office, every December holds a memorial candlelight service, victims service, honoring homicide victims for that year and all the past. And we put up Christmas trees with the victims' photos on there. And for years, I used to see her sons come to the service for their mom. I haven't been able to come the past few years. I don't know if they're still coming. When I reached out to Tracy two months ago and asked her about cases, the thing that really struck me when she was telling me the story about this case was Bart made sure that his children had to find their mother. It's so cowardly. It's such a despicable act to make your children find their mother in that state. There aren't words for that. It's cold-blooded. It is so cowardly. Yeah, of everything in this case, to me, as a mother, that's the worst thing. Right. It's the worst thing. I mean, seven years old, and you find your mother like that, and your first response is, my daddy killed my mother. I mean, that says it all, right? You can't hide anything from children, really. It informs you about what was going on in that house that this child is able to connect the dots, as Investigator Tracy says, is that he immediately attributes this, my dad did this. 
We go to domestic violence cases all the time on patrol. We deal with disputes all the time. And it's always frustrating when you look at these adults that keep having these arguments and they don't realize the impact it's going to have on their children, that this is what they're going to grow up with and this is what is normal to them in relationships. They're sponges. Sure. When we go to these houses for domestic disputes and the child is not alarmed that the police are at the house because they're inoculated to it. They've seen it so many times. And I actually, early on in my career, I was still in my FTO phase, still with my coach. And we went to a house and I remember a little kid coming up to my coach, the older officer, and he said, are you guys going to hit my dad with a flashlight again? And it's because the previous several times that the police had gone to the house, this guy had beat up his wife and then fought with the police when we were forced to take him to jail. And this kid attributed the police showing up to his dad was going to get hit with a flashlight. Oh, it hurts my heart. Mm -hmm. Pretty horrible. Well, when I would interview domestic violence victims, normally women, and of course they're coming to me to drop the charges, and I see that there were children in the house, and I would talk to them and say, is this how you want your children to grow up to think is normal? Because that's what's happening. First of all, it's not up to you whether to drop the charges or not. It's up to us. And we took domestic violence very seriously and very rarely would drop the charges. And oftentimes they would say, okay, okay. Right. I don't want my child to think that there are no consequences for this kind of violence. Right. Or to grow up and repeat the cycle. Sure. There's others who don't give a shit. Other suspects, other parents, because certainly there's times where it's one side is heavy-handed and causing all the issues. Usually it takes two to tango and argue and dispute, not saying that the violence happens both ways, but typically it's bickering and fighting back and forth. And there's times where they just don't care. They're like, get out of my house. I'll see you next week. To you or to? To the police, where we show up. Did my fucking neighbor call on me again? Yeah. We parked 100 yards from your house and can hear you down the street. What? Do you think that it's possible somebody might call on you? And it's just situation normal for them. And they're inconvenienced by your presence because you stopped their fighting and now it's an inconvenience for their night. It's almost like we're just referees on call to come and referee their fight for them. And hopefully, you know, get one of them to leave. It's typically how we handle these. We want to separate the parties. So if somebody has a safe place to go, hey, can you go stay at your sister's house who lives three blocks away tonight, just so things cool down. And sometimes neither party is willing to leave. They just want to fight and fight and fight. And it's okay if the police show up because it's situation normal for them. Are you obligated to get one of them to go someplace? Well, we can't force them in most occasions. If there is violence and there's been an injury, we have to identify who the primary aggressor is, and that person goes to jail. It's automatic. Right. The women would tell me, or I would ask them, well, why did you call the police? If you're wanting to drop charges, why'd you call the police? Well, I just wanted them to talk to him, or I just wanted them the fighting to stop, or I, I didn't want him arrested. 
I just wanted a temporary stay, basically. That's really tragic. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for coming by and sitting down with us again. We absolutely love seeing you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, Tracy. I appreciated that story as well. Absolutely. Really well done. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm honored and uh, appreciate the work that you do as well because we're a team and we can't work without the team. So thank you for your work too. Absolutely. I love that. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, please reach out for help. There's a national domestic violence hotline. Their telephone number is 1-800-799-7233. That's 800-799-7233. Or you can reach them through their website at thehotline.org. That's all one word, thehotline.org. There, you'll find lots of resources. You can also find this information on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Stay safe. Small Town Dicks thanks Starburns Industries in Burbank for the use of their amazing studios to record this episode. Starburns produces a lot of cool podcasts. Make sure to check them out. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Logan Heftel, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at smalltowndicks. We love hearing from you. And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.